0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining me for the 110th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is Dare to be Remembered. I'm joined by Greg Hoffman, the author of Emotion by Design, Creative Leadership Lessons from a Life at Nike. The publisher is the Hatchet Book Group. Greg is a global brand leader, advisor, speaker, and former Nike chief marketing officer. He's now also the founder and principal of the brand advisory group, Modern Arena. He's a branding instructor at the University of Oregon's Lundquist College of Business, as well as a member of the Board of Trustees at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design, commonly known as MCAD. Greg, welcome to the show
0: thanks dan it's a pleasure to be here looking forward to the conversation
1: absolutely so uh start us out a brief overview of the book if you don't mind
0: yeah well emotion by design is a is a guide uh to help leaders of all levels whether you're a leader of one or a leader of many um to build strong and powerful emotional bonds between your brand and your audience and between products and people and I illustrate that through my journey from uh, Nike design intern to Nike chief marketing officer over 27 years. And just maybe one last point is that when I say creative leadership lessons, you don't need to have the word creative or design or innovation in your job title, uh, because I believe everybody has an opportunity to participate in the creative problem solving process.
1: Well, in, in fact, in the book, you mentioned that two qualities that are really dear to you are empathy and curiosity. Do you mind speaking to both of those? Yeah, absolutely. I believe
0: behind every great product or every great story or experience that you know you you have, um, it starts with a process that uh, emphasizes empathy because you have to deeply understand and peel back the layers to find the the ultimate problem you're trying to solve for your audience, right? And I talk about this idea of seeing what others see, but finding what others don't. Because oftentimes we're just looking at what's on the surface, an observation or assumption. And so the role of empathy in the creative process is to find a deeper truth that you can reveal through the world uh, through a product or a story. And then, Curiosity, of course, um, is related to that. And that's about finding points of inspiration outside of your um, what's in front of you and bringing that back into your process and applying it uh, to your process. And that's why one of the examples I use is probably Nike's most revolutionary uh, innovation is Nike Air. And that actually came from an engineer that worked for NASA. And was, was working on uh, astronaut helmets and came to Nike with a concept that led to creating the airbags that obviously are prevalent today in footwear cushioning. So empathy and curiosity to me are the springboards, if you will, that ultimately lead to the best innovations um, that are the most meaningful and helpful to people.
1: Sure, and connect to others. I, I love what you just said. I can remember once, unfortunately, the contrast meeting with someone who was kind of thought of themselves as a hotshot website designer, and they were really interested in eye tracking. They wanted to know where people looked. I said, "Well, how about how people feel in response to your designs?" He said, "Why would I care about that?" And I went, "Whoa, <laughs> wow,
0: yeah." Well,
1: I'm glad you brought that
0: up because I think what separates uh, the best brands from the average brands are the ones that ask that question. How do you want people to feel about themselves when they interact with your brand? Because at the end yeah, of the day, exactly. the best brands are the ones that empower people and give them confidence and make them feel like they can take on, you know, the world and accomplish their aspirations and dreams.
1: So, so uh, on that line, I, I can't resist by going to the the book's title, Emotion by Design. And my question would be what emotion or emotions are we actually specifically talking about here? Are there certain campaigns, things you were involved with, where a particular emotion was uh, kind of your, your touchstone, as it were? Well, it depends on
0: the athlete that you're trying to tell a story about or the innovation that you're trying to launch into the world. And I believe, you know, it starts with creating a brand personality, meaning what are the different characteristics and traits that you want to express to the world that represent your brand? And then two, what are the tones of voice that you want to speak uh, about uh, the, these, these stories and traits. And so um, obviously you might want to tell a story of, of, you know, a, a heroic story, and you might uh, express that in a soulful way. Uh, and it, and it stirs emotions in a way with your audience that maybe are more uh, reflective, or you might want to tell a story that, you know, reveals the humor in sport that we can all relate to. Um, and and therefore, that's going to engage your audience in a in a in a different way. But the point is to make sure that um, you're not you're not using the same tone of voice and expressing the same characteristics every single time the consumer interacts with you. Because just like if you and I were having a conversation, and every time I showed up, I told the same story in the same way, it, it would become boring or maybe even annoying. So um, it's really a mosaic of of um, characteristics and emotions. And it's just choosing, you know, choosing the moment and and how you want to express yourself as a brand. And ultimately, it's the totality of those moments and interactions that ultimately create that, you know, image and impression of of your brand uh, in, in the world.
1: You know, I, I really love that answer. I do think you have to stay open to what the possibilities are and what's the organic fit for a particular campaign or athlete, product, whatever the case may be. Uh, one of my favorite books is called The Hero and the Outlaw, and it looks at archetypes and brands in terms of 12 different archetypes drawn from sources from fairy tales to the Bible to mythology Etc. I just think it's a really interesting way to come at the whole idea of, of uh, personality traits and brand and so forth. And and speaking of curiosity, I mean the fact that uh, Stefan Stephen Curry would you know apparently all but pass out on the floor at the end of winning the championship uh, here recently. I mean no one could expect that. I don't think he could expect that. But it's just such a interesting development, uh, such a, a crowning achievement in his career to take that next championship.
0: That's It's a good point because I think we can all relate to the physical demands and what he gave to himself and what a lot of these athletes give to themselves. And then once they accomplish it, you can actually see also the emotional demands of what it takes yeah. to stay in the moment and not let your emotions get in the way of your performance, but instead fuel those. And that's, I think sometimes... You know, um, that's, uh, I, I, you know, one of my favorite sports is boxing and the reality is a lot of fighters as they come to the, the ring, they drain themselves because they're so emotionally, um, uh, pumped up and then it, it leads to a bad performance. And so, you know, I, I love that you brought that up because it does, um, show like how, how important emotion is within performance, not just in sport, but all of us. Um,
1: Yeah, no, you make the point, humans experience emotions. Um, And it it is fundamental to our being and our existence. It's the currency that connects us to others. Um, I I think that's so important. And it takes me to another thing I wanted to bring up in the book. A couple different times in different ways, you kind of came back to this thing about making sure that branding and marketing does stay human in an era of you know you didn't quite say it this way but in an era of algorithms I um, mean you did talk in terms of data driven marketing can you say a bit more about that because obviously the landscape has changed a lot including during your career at Nike so you know what does it look like now what are the challenges to, to overcome how to keep it human
0: that that's right well I, I do believe we're in this age of of automation when it comes to our relationship with with brands and Look, there's a lot of good that's come out of all this data and and machine learning and new capabilities and platforms, because we can know our audience in a deeper and more personal way than ever before. And therefore, we can serve them better, faster uh, and on their terms, because at the end of the day, to me, um, our our customer is in charge as they should be. Now, with that said, although I think technology has given us more, I also think it's given us less in terms of, you know, creativity and innovation and some of the things that are human driven by those human characteristics that, quite frankly, there are not algorithms for, right? There's no empathy algorithm, as I talked about earlier. And so that's why I say, you know, the, the, the you know, The process of branding and marketing is an art and a science. And I just feel right now art is maybe being squeezed out of the process a bit. Some of that is due by the push to optimize what you have during the pandemic. Right. I mean, that was there's incredible challenges and pressure on on businesses on that. And so oftentimes the idea of taking risks, which is so much a part of innovation, you know, gets put on the um, the shelf. Um, as you experience, you know these these downturns on that. So, so that's why I say, in some ways, the book is a call to action to remember that it's important to have, um, make sure that the art of brand building has a seat at the table, and that you're infusing your business culture um, and with with you know the the creative side of the right side of the brain, if you will, um, as well as the left side of the brain, which oftentimes is, and it's not one or the other. I want to make that clear. I mean, you need these, these individuals and these teams to essentially multiply each other's expertises, uh, on that. But it's important for leaders to pull back and look at, you know, their culture from a distance and making sure it's in balance.
1: Okay. No, I think that that's all fair. I'm curious on this point about, uh, you know, knowing how you're making that connection with the consumer, Uh, Nike's relationship to market research. And I'll, I'll put out there that, you know, I was probably the second person after Daniel Goleman to talk about the importance of the role of emotions in business. So when I launched my company Sensory Logic to look at market research. I didn't want the the usual methods. I thought they were a bit too rationally oriented. So I wanted to look at emotions. And I made out a hit list when I first started. I said, what's really emotional? I said, well, Disney's emotional. I've done work for Disney. I said, Hallmark's emotional. PetSmart's emotional. I've done work for them, Uh, cars and gambling. And then I came to sports and yet, I'll, I'll admit to you that I, I never did end up getting a meeting, not even a phone call conversation with anyone at Nike. Never could break through. I, I'm curious as to how Nike approached and understood market research and the ways you you handled it. Sure. Well, certainly
0: during the the first good quarter of my career, you know, so much of what we created was was built by instinct, right? And that that that's kind of just the spirit of the times, you know, when the brand is so hot. And, um, uh, the, the, the swoosh brand mark becomes this, you know, symbol of, of human potential and excellence within sport. And so you're riding this wave. And I think the second half of my career was, was again, this, this rise of understanding consumer science and, and consumer behavior. And at the end of the day, understanding that your audience wants credit for what they're doing, what they're buying, uh, how they're being active in your products. Um, they wanna be connected to a bigger community of like-minded athletes. And the only way you can achieve this is if you're leaning in to, to the data science on that. And you know, you have to make sure that you're building the loyalty of, and trust, and that's based on are you truly um, helping athletes in this case, be better than they were the day before. Um, And and therefore, there's this relationship versus, you know, it's I'll say it even though it's said often, but the whole idea is building long-term relationships, not just individual transactions. And so I think that's where this instinct meets analytics. And, um, of course, some of that is through uh, everything from, marketplace research to reading the signals of, of the market, but also even uh, mixing that with real conversations and interviews with consumers, you know, on the ground. Um, and um, it just means that, you know, I think not just Nike, but I think the best companies look at their brand as a club and look at their audience as members, because if you do that, you're really not marketing; you're serving. Because at the end of the day, your your membership has to come with privileges, and you better prove that out.
1: No, I, I, again, I, I really love the answer. I think it is about trying to serve a community. You know, we we don't go shopping with six strangers from a focus group, uh, but if we can have a conversation that feels relationship oriented, community oriented. I think that's a lot, a lot richer. One real tactical thing that I want to go big picture. The, the tactical thing is, a, as the landscape has, has changed in branding and marketing, uh, the mobile phone as the, the platform, the device, the access point, obviously has gained a lot of importance. What are the, the challenges, the opportunities? How, how did you face dealing with, you know, the mobile phone being so front and center in the universe?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I would, I would almost illustrate it this way is, is pre-smartphone, certainly, um, you know, oftentimes traditionally advertising uh, in even into the 90s and early 2000s was, was a brand broadcasting their messages at their audience, right? It was one way. Um, And where it evolved is this this two-way conversation. And I think the advent of social media and the smartphone allowed um, your customers and your consumers to play a much greater role in having this level playing field uh, with, with a brand. And so a brand's job in some ways is to start a conversation, is to be the catalyst But at the end of the day, it has to involve its audience. And of course, um, having, you know, that that kind of platform in the palm of your hand where your point of view and opinion can matter and have great influence. And and so that had a, a radical effect on the way brands communicate now. With that said, um, oftentimes a lot of the content and and storytelling that that brands create is somewhat disposable because of the amount they're creating um, and the the cadence, this accelerated cadence of how often they're they're posting on, on social media. And so I always emphasize that just because we've we've evolved in the way we. Um, engage and connect with consumers in terms of telling telling our stories, that it is ultimately important to understand that no matter how small an interaction is or uh, a piece of communication is, um, it still has to represent your brand story. And so that's why I, I kind of cringe sometimes when I hear hear the word content or content <laughs> distribution. Because at the end of the day, what you're doing is You should be telling a story that you want to share. There's a words matter. And I think it certainly matters in culture on that, if that makes sense.
1: No, no, and, and how you frame it and keeping that storyline, you know, cohesive and, and yet growing. Um, you know, but it, it does strike me when you speak about accelerated cadence. I mean, you go from the 30-second TV spot to, you know, the video online through the phone might be 15 seconds. It might be 10 seconds. It might just be an image. Uh it, there's a lot of radical compression going on. That's right. And
0: and you have to keep going back to those fundamental questions. Does does this does this story, even if it's just a line of copy or a product description, does this represent our brand values? Does it repre- is it expressed in our tone of voice, right? And is it at the end of the day helpful and meaningful to your customer's life? And I think sometimes we're moving so fast that we don't stop to ask those questions.
1: Yeah, no, I, I really like where you're going with this. because I, I do think that values is so central. I spent some time recently when I was in uh, Cincinnati to give a speech up at the Cincinnati d- design program. And uh, I was talking to one of the professors there. He said, you know, it's so interesting. Our, we're learning more from those students than they might be learning from us. And one of the things we're learning is this is a very activist generation. And for them, values are absolutely front and center, and they have to be discussed and, and negotiated and, and you know understood and appreciated and respected. So I, I kind of want to move there in the last several minutes of our, of our interview. One is, of course, uh, the whole notion of Working with celebrity athletes can be tricky because their careers can have uh, great moments. They can also have uh, the risk of, of scandals or down moments. Um, so, right now, just to take something right out of the news, we have this Saudi Arabia-backed golf, you know, tour. Liv. If you were still at Nike, how do you think Nike would be be looking at this and trying to evaluate how it? deals with the the whole disruptions going on in the golf universe. Yeah, I
0: I think it goes back to, you know, what what is your mission as a brand? In the case of Nike's, it's to, you know, create innovation and inspiration for every athlete in the world, from professional athletes to everyday athletes like you and I. And you as a, whether you're in marketing or any particular department or division, you know, when you walk through the door, that's what your focus is, and you can't be distracted by um, the the news of the day. And so, part of my role always was to to make sure that you know we we came back to our our purpose and our promise to to the consumer, right? And um, anytime we veered from that, and maybe we're trying to create a commentary. That was based on, you know, uh, a, a, specific, a specific news moment. Um, if you think about it, then you're just drifting away from your primary role, which is to um, reveal why a particular innovation um, will give you superior performance, or um, you know, why is it? What what are the um, unique backstories and journeys that these these athletes, um, are on that would, would you would find inspirational here? And Dan, I'll say this, you know, at the end of the day, what, what do, what does the audience, your customer get out of a story about a rival golf league? It's entertaining. It might be interesting, but in terms of its impact on their own life and their ability to be a better athlete or a golfer or a person, Um, that's what I always ask myself, you know, at the end of the day, um, my role is to improve, you know, certainly while I was at the, the, the sploosh was to improve an athlete's life. And so I'm not saying that you have to be under a rock and, and, uh, out of touch with, you know, the biggest newsworthy moments of the day, but at the end of the day, um, I think your job is, is, is much, much uh, bigger than that.
1: Um, no, I, I have no argument with what you said. I just know that uh, as I read Sally Jenkins and other people commenting on Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson trying to handle <laughs> the, the, the interview questions, um, you know, it, it's, there, there's been some uncomfortable moments there. Let's just, let's yeah, see. Yeah. And,
0: and, and time, will, time will tell. It's hard to predict um, how that how this will all shake out um, and,
1: yeah yeah um, but let's go let's go to your backstory because I think it's an interesting one. I mean, uh, obviously, a lot of the great athletes are African Americans. So you're of you know mixed race growing up in Minnesota, which is where I'm based and not exactly famous despite Prince for uh, uh, championing black culture. Um, so there, there had to be a lot of uh, moments of uh, struggle and looking for acceptance, hoping you'd find empathy from the other side while practicing it yourself. I'd be curious whatever, on a personal level, you'd like to say about how that informed your journey as you were aiming for, uh, frankly, what proved to be very much superior performance in your career.
0: Yeah. Well, well, thanks for that question. And yes, certainly growing up uh, in, in Minnesota in the 70s and, and 80s, if you will. And being really the only person of color in the room, whether it was at school and as an adoptee, right? Growing up in a white yeah. family. And so um, I was always in search of, of, you know, just trying to fill in the the um, gaps, if you will, in terms of, of my identity and finding pride in who I was. And, of course, I looked at the black athletes of the time that gave me that inspiration and oftentimes the adversity i experienced from a you know a racism standpoint um oftentimes drove me to my two passions you know and in escaping into my art drawing every day and sport because sports the ultimate level playing field um when you're when you're on that field everybody's equal right and so i i found my way into these two twin passions and then of course i see this brand nike when i'm a teenager putting African-Americans in their advertising, which was unheard of at the time in the, the mid 80s and into the late 80s. And so um, it's it just, you know, this, this idea that I then went to work for this brand where I was able to combine my two passions of art and, and sport um, and then ultimately take those experiences I had growing up and um, was allowed to show up in in the room, if you will, uh, of business and evaluate work um, by drawing on that personal experience. And I think, you know, Nike's always been this brand that's taken a stand on some of the most important social issues of our time. And um, certainly I was able to be a part of that as it relates to driving racial equality and using the platform of sport, right. Um, and the athlete's voice um, to try to create uh, positive change in the world through that. So um, I'm very, uh, you know, uh, honored to have, have uh, been on that journey. And um, at, despite how challenging that childhood was at times, Um, The it did lead to the fuel and maybe the tools and the insights um, that, you know, I'd like to think had an impact on lots of people around the world. And hopefully this book, by illustrating some of those campaigns and moments, uh, will do the same.
1: Sure. Well, I think this is some of the richest emotional pager, ultimately, you know, this this uh, struggle to create community, to look for justice and fairness and how we treat others. Uh, you know, the ethical compass that we, you know, exhibit as a person, as a company, as a country. Uh, I mean, that that's, you know, now you're really talking about Deep purpose and meaning and what's going on. I'd like to think that in your combination of art and sport, to me, they're, they're, they're very visual. They do involve motion. Uh, they do involve motivations. And I always go back to the fact that in Latin, motivation and emotion have the same root word, which is to move, to make something happen. And that's really what you've done with your career and with your book. And I want to thank you so much for having come on the show today. So this has been episode 110, Dare to be Remembered, my guest, Greg Hoffman. He is the author of Emotion by Design, Creative Leadership Lessons from a Life at Nike. If you've enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating and review on iTunes. You can find other episodes by going to the New Books Network website, type in Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight in the search bar, and those 100-plus other episodes will pop up. Finally, I like to conclude every episode with an appropriate epigram. In this case, I couldn't resist taking one from Muhammad Ali, who said, Champions aren't made in the gyms. Champions are made from something they have deep inside them, a desire, a dream a vision. Until next time, take care and be well.